Recently, the Senior Executives Association announced the winners for its annual awards program. Among this year's winners was Avi Snow. Now retired, Snow spent several years as a financial manager for the Coast Guard, the Homeland Security Department, and ending at Veterans Affairs. I got the chance to speak with Avi to learn more about her career path. I came to VA in 2014. I came there, I was hired to implement a new integrated finance and acquisition system. At the time, I don't know if they knew or if we knew about adding assets to that, you know, integrated assets, finance and acquisition. But, but you know, essentially, that's why I was brought to the department. They had a antiquated, still do, 40-year-old, over 40 years old um, financial system. And they it had never been integrated with, with the acquisition system. And so I came there to do that work. And uh, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you, you say antiquated. Obviously, that comes with a whole host of problems, you know, coming from places such yeah. as Homeland Security and the Coast Guard, where, you know, maybe things are a little bit more updated. What were some of the challenges that came with having an antiquated well, uh, acquisition system? You know, interestingly, the biggest challenge of all was change management is because when you have a system in place for that long and you have all the experts and you have all the people that know how to use it, they don't want to change. And VA is a behemoth, it's huge. It's, you know, second only to DOD in size. And so, you know, I had done this work at Coast Guard. I had, you know, attempted to do the work at DHS. It was a very litigious environment, but we had implemented other systems, travel systems and whatnot, you know, with 23 components. And I can honestly say that I never come across a culture like VA where it was just, it, it, it is the culture that will stop it. I mean, the system works, but the real issue is that, you know, will the culture accept the change? And change management was one of the biggest difficulties, I would say. So, so you know, so there's that aspect of it. And then because it's such a legacy environment, integrating with other legacy systems. I mean, VA has systems that are over 60 years old. You know, they were in mumps. You know, this is stuff that came out of MIT in the 70s. <laughs> and early 80s. And so that, you know, the technical aspects of some of that are very, very difficult. Um, so you have the technology issues. The other thing is, is that you actually have hospitals, you know, we can't inter- interrupt that supply chain. I mean, you literally, you know, we can't impact patient care, we can't impact veteran care. And so what happens is, is you're literally working in an environment where the systems, no matter how antiquated they are, they're necessary for the everyday care and feeding of a veteran. Yeah, and obviously supply chain issues were front and center during the past uh, two or three years or so, um, you know, given all the uh, problems that came arose from the pandemic and made things put strain, obviously, on the medical system. Um, what were your role, I guess, in managing just how, you know, where where finances were coming from weren't necessarily reliable. Well, we were integrating with those systems. So we actually worked with those folks. I mean, those systems were in place and operating and whatnot. But but our goal was to integrate seamlessly with those systems and not impact patient care um, in, in any way or any, you know, supplies to, you know, hospitals or clinics or what have you. So, I mean, those, you know, those ap- operated as they 
as they do, it was our job to figure out how to integrate with those systems without impacting it. You know, there it's just all the things that have to be taken into consideration as you move forward with an effort of this scale. We're speaking with Avi Snow. She is the retired Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary, Financial Management and Business Transformation, and also the recipient from the Senior Executives Association Senior Executive Professional Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, Let's get into those words, lifetime achievement, obviously a a long career. If you could just give us a few highlights and what what you feel are your biggest accomplishments and why do you deserve this award, Avi? (laughs) Yeah, well... It's humbling, I'll tell you. You know, I started out at, uh, you know, it's funny, I started out as an ADP intern in the 80s, and I went to the night vision lab, and I worked on, we were very much, I mean, night vision was soldier in the field, and I worked on all kinds of different programs there. I was there for Operation Desert Storm, the original issues with Bosnia, you know, like, so working on all the, you know, part of big teams, really outfitting soldier in the field to you know, accomplish, you know, whatever the, you know, whatever the the missions were. I I also had the luck to be at night vision when the, everything started going to the web, um, you know, and so, and, and it was a very innovative place to be. And it was, it, it was research and development. And so I, I was really on that cutting edge of WWW, you know, and, and um, it was interesting because the army ha- actually had ARPANET long before there was, you know, the World Wide Web. And so I, I really learned a lot about technology there. And then I went to the, the, the Coast Guard and, of course, very, very different mission than the Army. But I got into more of what I would call support systems. I actually worked on, it's funny, I worked on, a you know, the HR system at first, whatever. But I, I met Ed Murray, who actually was my boss's boss at the VA. And they were doing, they were actually moving Coast Guard systems from, you know, at the time, it wasn't even really client server, but it was really, they had um, just very localized systems and we were moving everything to the web. So that's really where I got my experience with financial systems, simplified acquisition systems and and, and integration, um, really doing a lot of cutting edge stuff, moving systems, because the, the Coast Guard was actually divided into in, into quadrants. We had land area and pack area. And, you know, there was the there was the North United States and the Southern United States. And of course, Coast Guard, they had all the waters, you know, think about all the water, the waterways, the lakes, the, you know, so so what we started doing is consolidating everything and bringing everything to the web and and that's really where I got my start on the you know on the financial and acquisition system side and I have to tell you you know first of all I loved working for the coast guard and I had some of my biggest successes and some of my biggest failures and they say you learn from your failures and you really do the first time we ever pulled together for we you know we had this it was a simplified acquisition system and we had four disparate databases serving those four quadrants of the United States for the Coast Guard and we tried to bring those all together and put them on the web and 
interestingly, the data that, oh, it, it was, it was a mess. And Admiral Allen, uh, Thad Allen was actually the chief of staff of the Coast Guard at the time. And he's like, Avi, you're going to fix this, right? And I go, yes, sir, I am, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, but, but we learned a lot. We learned so much about data. We learned what happens with configurations and, and why, you know, these things need to be vetted. And we, we learned about mock migrations of data and, and really, you know, how to, how to get, how to get something implemented correctly with, you know, data in place, the proper training, the proper testing. And that really was the foundation for everything that I did. But I, but I have to say I had great success at the Coast Guard and we were really ahead of our time. And I, I think what I didn't realize was I had a lot of people paving the way for me. And it really wasn't until I got to DHS where I realized that because there I was, I became like the front line that I became an SES. And, and what I didn't know about, you know, the political world and, and OMB and how, you know, and how politics played into this. I, I, that's where I really learned that all those folks at the Coast Guard were paving the way for me to be able to work and deliver. And like I said, we, you know, we had incredible success, you know, 9-11 happened and we were able to bring on TSA and the air marshals and domestic nuclear detection, bring them all onto one system and and then, you know, and, and then go from there. So at least they had finance and acquisition and simplified acquisition, you know, that purchasing power, you know, those kinds of things. And then, you know, they asked me to come to the department and do the same, you know, across of what was becoming the Department of Home land security. So I think my the the real success to make a very long answer just slightly longer was was really that ability to work and deliver at the Coast Guard. It it really provided the foundation for everything that was to come. Avi Snow is retired Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary for Financial Management with the Veterans Affairs Department. You can find this interview at our website. Head to federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Listen to the Federal Drive when you want, wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer, at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at How do we accomplish our mission through our people? And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected. And also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. 
In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're gonna go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when as a leader that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to 
recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency. And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions. And that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion. And then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting and said, go ahead and I want to hear from you. And I realized in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way. And I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped. And I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, 
that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank you. Uh, having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's... Uh, It's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. 
Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.